Hi, welcome to the Aerospace Industries Association of Canada's podcast. It's hosted by me, Mike Mueller, Senior Vice President of AIAC. In each podcast, we'll be exploring topics of interest to our sector by interviewing leaders in both the Canadian and international aerospace industry and relevant thought leaders in order to provide timely perspective and context in the world of aerospace in Canada. AIC is committed to serving its members by being the bridge between industry and the government while bringing industry together, acting as its voice. Hope you enjoyed the pod. Well, welcome to the podcast. I hope that everyone has been enjoying the last few days of summer. Your team here at AIC has been working hard throughout, ensuring that through all the political twists and turns of what has turned out to be a pretty interesting summer politically, that aerospace has been front and center for the decision makers, both in government and in parliament. As our members will know, we've been advocating for both a national strategy and support for our industry through COVID-19, as I don't think it will be a surprise to anyone that aerospace has been very hard hit, and we want to ensure that the over 200,000 workers we support remain employed in all regions of the country. Just in the last few weeks, we've seen our finance minister resign, a new finance minister appointed, parliament being prorogued, a new leader of the official opposition, and we're looking forward next month to, I believe, a speech from the throne and a budget. So no better time to pull together a political panel to help us make sense of this all, especially from an aerospace perspective. So I want to introduce Brad Levine, Gabriela Gonzalez, and Jan Plant. So Brad Levine is Principal and Vice President at Council Public Affairs. Brad has over 25 years of communications, government relations, and political experience. Brad served as the national, as the new Democratic Party's National Campaign Director in the 2011 general election that resulted in the party's best election result in its 50-year history, becoming Canada's official opposition for the first time. You can reach out to him at www.councilpa.com. I also want to introduce Gabriela Gonzalez. Gabriela is a consultant with Crestview Strategies, working in the Toronto office. Prior to joining the Crestview team, Gabriela worked at Queen's Park for four years and is a longtime organizer with the Ontario Liberal Party and the Liberal Party of Canada. And you can reach her at crestviewstrategy.com. And finally, rounding out the panel, we have Jan Plant, Senior Director at TACT. And Jan has served in leadership positions for over a decade, advising leaders and ministers on a wide variety of policies, programs, and strategic communications. Jan has served as Chief of Staff in the Ministries of Transport, Infrastructure, Communities, Intergovernmental Affairs, Economic Development Agency of Canada for the regions of Quebec, and was also Chief Strategist for the Leader of Canada's Official Opposition. And you can reach him at tactconcil.ca. So we want to welcome you all to the podcast. Thanks for making the time to do this. Thanks for having us. Pleasure to be here. Great to be here. Excellent. So maybe, Brad, I'll just start with you. You've witnessed a lot of shakeups on Parliament Hill over the years. You've seen how the status of the government of the day impacts its priorities, its governing style, and of course, throw in the extra challenge of COVID-19. Well, as we can see in the last couple of weeks, it definitely adds a recipe for a lot of uncertainty. And there's lessons from the past that we can glean from. The tone will be set with the new speech from the throne. And on the aerospace side of things, we'll definitely be looking for some kind of recognition regarding the economically strategic importance of our industry and a recognition that we are uniquely positioned as an industry to play a role in Canada's overall economic recovery. So what's your sense moving forward? How do you see the government setting up priorities? And how do you think industries such as aerospace can expect from this new reset parliament in a couple of weeks? Right. 
Yeah, no, there's there's a lot there. And you're I think you're absolutely right, Mike, about the level of uncertainty that many Canadians have. And that's that's really an opportunity for the Trudeau government to come in with a very, I think, ambitious agenda when it comes to the throne speech. And then following that up with either a mini budget or an economic update sometime throughout the fall. That uncertainty leads to opportunity because I think a lot of Canadians want to know that the federal government, you know, is there and is doing everything it can to get people back to work. And I I don't even know if we've seen the full effects of the economic downturn with COVID-19 just yet. I think that in different parts of the country, it's playing itself out in different ways, different supply chains, different reactions from other countries. We have obviously issues with, with the Americans rattling their sabers because of their election. So all of this provides what I would submit to be a wonderful opportunity. Not many Canadians want an election this fall. We just had one last, you know, just 10 months ago. I don't think that there's a lot of folks who are out there pining for another election. Although what we've seen is we've seen from the Bloc Québécois, we've seen a lot of, you know, saber rattling from them. It's unlikely the Conservatives under Mr. O'Toole's new leadership is likely to support this government in a confidence motion, which the throne speech and a mini budget would be. So that really leaves it up to the NDP and the Liberals to iron out something concrete. I think what a lot of people are looking for is for the NDP and Jagmeet Singh, the leader of the New Democratic Party, spoke about it just a short while ago, uh, talking about his priorities that he's looking for in the throne speech. I think that there's enough common ground between the two leaders to cover it off and to have an ambitious agenda in the throne speech backed up by an aggressive fiscal and monetary agenda in a mini budget. And that means spending on things that get people back to work. And that's precisely where aerospace fits in. I think aerospace is very well situated in terms of playing that role. The story in Ottawa has been told very well with, with the campaign, the, the, the vision campaign over the last number of years, that you know aerospace provides good paying jobs. It attracts global capital to set up shop here in Canada and creates good paying jobs in a high value manufacturing context. So I'm, I'm looking forward to a very aggressive agenda. Put the politics aside. Let's get people back to work. And aerospace, I think, will be, a, will be a key component within that. I couldn't agree more, Brad, on getting people back to work. And, you know, the 200,000 good-paying jobs that we have is something we've been definitely telling decision-makers across the board. And we're going to get into it a little bit further, you know, in the, in the podcast. But just taking a look at what other countries are doing with respect to aerospace, we really want to get a sense from you guys is what we can expect here. Maybe Jan, anything from uh, from your perspective on the new reset of parliament? We've got the new conservative leader coming in and there's lots of different shifting sands, if you will. Yeah, so I also agree a lot with, with what Brad just said. And I, I would say that although speech of the, from Trump may not be the most exciting thing for people outside of the political bubble, it is still a very important piece for the government as a whole. Why? Because it's the foundation of the House. So it's the narrative that will be used by the prime minister, cabinet ministers, political staff, and the public servants in advancing their files moving forward. So the speech from the throne will guide them in the upcoming months. And in in other words, if the file one person is working on now can't fit one way or another within what is said in the speech from the throne, then it indicates that this person should work on something else. So again, it, it may not be super exciting for average people at home, but for people inside the bubble, a speech from the throne is very important as a guide that will help them moving forward. And for the industry as well, I think, you know, you, you did a, you did a, an interesting job by publishing a poll uh, recently, Mike, at, at the AIEC with 
where we, we could see that 85% of Canadians are hoping to the idea of uh, in, more investment in the industry. And I think, you know, governments love polls and, and look at polls, even though they're, they're saying the, the opposite. The reality is politicians are, are looking at polls all the, day, all the time. And that's a good thing you, you did that. And it will help the government to see that there's an appetite within Canadians for more, uh, more investment in this very important industry. And about the new conservative leader, I would say that, you know, I don't think I don't think they would support the prime minister right now because, you know, both the Bloc Québécois and conservatives called for the prime minister's resignation recently. So you can only throw that ball once. And the only logical next step to this when the prime minister actually stays in the job is to do anything to provoke an election. Otherwise, you're not serious. So I agree with Brad. Then it all comes down to, you know, the NDP will decide either to keep the government alive and working with it or, or to bring it down, which is unlikely in the, you know, next next fall. Maybe an election is more likely next spring or in 2021. Either it will be called the prime minister will make himself or that the oppositions will, will make. But I don't see an election before Christmas this year. I think you you just mentioned a, an important point, Jan. You know, all parties have a role to play in a minority parliament, which is why we've struck the what we call an aerospace caucus, where we inter interface with members of parliament from all parties that take an interest and have some influence with respect to aerospace. And I just do a little promo plug for folks listening to this. We will be having a members-only webinar with them, with the airspace members of parliament next week. So make sure you tune in for that. Gabriella, maybe just, you know, we talked a little bit about the speech from the throne. You know, we've been really pushing the need for a national strategy. And quite frankly, even before COVID-19 hit, aerospace was losing ground. And I think there's a clear understanding uh, amongst the industry, and we've been really pushing with government that our collective uh, competition is really global. And we, we've seen you know, our competing countries investing substantial amounts of money into airspace because, as we talked about before, those good-paying jobs that are there. So maybe, can you, what, what do you expect you know, we can see from this government in the next, you know, both the speech from the throne and then a budget or mini-budget, as Brad had said? Yeah, before I get into the budget, I want to talk about, you know, the aerospace sector role in this restart and specifically about the green recovery. And green recovery is not just about windmills and solar panels. It's about growing government and growing industries, including aerospace. So my recommendation would be to actually talk about, you know, what is the sector doing on green recovery? How are you growing the sector? Whether it's fleet fuel efficiency and reducing the environmental impacts for air travel. I think that kind of message will resonate with this government. It's very aligned with the green recovery and the green restart that Freeland has been talking about. And also, you know, you open with the jobs uh, numbers. That is a real important part as well of, of the conversation. And, and, and Freeland, in addition to talking about, you know, equitable and inclusive and green recovery to talk about growth and jobs and they want to get people back to back to work and 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 jobs so that is a really compelling story that i know i suspect you know the finance and pmo will, will want to hear in terms of the budget i mean i think that the government is still figuring out whether it will be sort of a fiscal and economic update or, or a mini budget as brad mentioned and you know it, it's pretty it's tough to turn around a budget within this sort of just a few months and uh, knowing that the march budget had to be put on hold because of the pandemic but if someone can turn you know can take this Herculean task and, and actually carry it through. That's brilliant. And, and as she did with the NASA renegotiation, we know she can, you know, do complicated things really quickly. And so, you know, whether it's a fiscal update or a budget, I suspect it will be closely tied to the fish from the throne. And then we'll have an ambitious nation building message 
One is that focus on supporting Canadians as opposed to corporations and more focus on, on supporting people as opposed to the government being sort of fiscally responsible, which is what, you know, Moreno was really pushing for. He talked about, you know, deficits, but with Freeland as the finance minister, you know, she would focus on that. And, and how are we supporting people who work in the gig economy? How are we supporting women working families? And, you know, what she talks about this equitable restart, we know that the government is used to looking at budgets from a different lens. For the past, you know, the previous four years, they talked about a gender balance, gender lens to all this government decision making. I suspect that we'll add a second lens and that will be a fairness lens. Interesting. And, you know, your comments earlier about, you know, the green sustainable budget, I mean, aerospace, and this is something we've been talking to government about, but aerospace definitely, you know, Canadian aerospace in particular is a world leader on this. And, you know, during this time, it's really time to double down on that. So I think, you know, where the industry is and where the industry is going and where the government you know, thought is on that particular item is very well aligned. Brad, anything, you know, on on specific to the to the mini budget and sort of competing priorities? Well, I just want to pick up on 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 the green aspect uh, that Gabriella was mentioning. I think I think that the government has signaled, you know, quite repeatedly their desire that the that the recovery will be a green one. And it it's a real opportunity. I, I use opportunity a lot because I, I I truly believe that there's so much of it uh, with with COVID. It's an opportunity for the federal government to set a new course and and correct that which we've gotten wrong or that's just kind of just kind of been established many many years ago. You know, the aerospace sector. You know, we have to we have to ensure that that our decision makers as well as the public see aerospace as part of that solution. And you alluded to you know a bit ago uh, Canada being a world leader, but you know just you know two quick things. I mean, highlighting the green aspect, I know, is something that we've done you know at the provincial level with the association as well, because a, a lot of provinces are placing a great emphasis on green recovery uh, as well. You know, first battery powered airplane or or even equipping our frontline people with the tools to combat climate change. I mean, right now in British Columbia, you know, tremendous amount of wildfires are, are raging. And aerospace is, is part of that firefighting technology that we can export the world over. Because whether it's in Australia or, you know, in British Columbia, doesn't matter. We're on the globe. Aerospace in Canada can be part of that, you know, that climate change fighting thing. So it's, it's about how we look at it. It's not just, you know, domestic air travel, you know, business air travel or even international air travel that we're, that we're looking at here. We're looking at the whole range of what aerospace provides and the jobs and the, the investment that come with it. So, you know, right now, I think that there's a tremendous appetite among the public for governments to invest. I don't believe there's an appetite for austerity to cut back. And we just need to make sure that our voices continue to be heard at that table. And hopefully the new finance minister, Christian Friedland, with her global affairs hat that she's had as a former minister of international affairs or trade, these files, she'll know what our competitors are up to. You alluded to it, Mike, about what France is up to, what the Americans are up to. They are investing billions of dollars in their aerospace sectors. And that is bad news for Canada. Not only does that hamper our ability to attract new capital, but it places at risk the jobs that are already here. And for any politician who thinks that, you know, you know, because a particular sector or company is doing well in aerospace right now, these folks are being lured away in many jurisdictions the world over from Canada. That'll cost big jobs. That'll cost investment. That'll cost revenue for the communities that aerospace supports. So Hopefully, Christia Friedland will, will, will identify from her previous cabinet posts the competition that we're up against and begin to be part of that inside cabinet champion 
for a national strategy here in Canada. I agree, Brad, that, you know, the global nature of especially aerospace is so different than a lot of other sectors and really makes our industry unique. You know, Jan, you'd mentioned before the poll that we did, and thanks for bringing that up. We had done a bit of a poll through Polara, and some of the results back we got was when people were made aware of the impact of aerospace, there was a strong support for the government to invest in those jobs and those technologies, and it really made people proud. Maybe, Jan, can you give us a bit of a flavor from, you know, you're based in Quebec City, Montreal, Gatineau, from a bit of a Quebec perspective, just on, you know, what a mini budget would or could look like? Yeah, well, and also I'll lend to that. Uh, We'll just go first to Mike that just want to add with what Ali just said that, you know, budgets are, of course, very important for obvious reasons, setting all the financial considerations, intention of the government in terms of spending, revenues, economy growth, and so on. But beyond that, budgets are also powerful communication and political tools for government. And it's a way to to take control of the NDE political agenda, again, which which the government have lost a bit in the last few weeks. So the next budget will allow, you know, the prime minister and his team to roll out a thorough communications and political plan across the country. It will help them to contrast with opposition parties, especially the conservatives. It will allow them to have all caucus members uh, doing announcements all over the country. So, so we should expect that the budget will also be very political in, in its narrative, uh, trying to please a lot of people within the accessible voters of the government. And it will either be an election platform, should the government call or call a snap election on it, or a very great tool to govern moving forward. For the aerospace industry, and brings back to, to, to what you just mentioned about the Quebec perspective, but also I would say the Ontario perspective. So aerospace is great for jobs, for, for its symbolic, like people, especially in Quebec, care a lot about this industry. But for the government, the perspective of a budget being as well political, it's also, you know, we, we have to realize that most of the industries in Quebec and Ontario where it, it is a, a real battlefield for, for, for the next election and for, for every election, actually. So it's kind of an alignment of all the stars for the government to do something for, for, for the aerospace industry. Actually, I would think they would miss an opportunity not to do it, not only because it would be good public policy, but it would be good politics as well. And I think there's sometimes a you know misconception that aerospace is is focused in Quebec, but I mean you know Brad, as you know, British Columbia, huge sector out there. Gabriella, Calgary's got a burgeoning aerospace sector. The Greater Toronto area, Winnipeg, it's truly a national industry across the board. Maybe just turning, you know, let's you you've all been political insiders, and so let's just sort of lift the veil on you know what's going on behind behind the scenes. We have a new. Minister of Finance, Christia Freeland, generally speaking, very highly regarded. Brad, you'd mentioned, you know, she's been Minister of International Trade, Foreign Affairs. She's got that sort of global background. How do you guys see this all happening? We had some tension with the previous finance minister. You know, will Minister Freeland have the autonomy and flexibility? Or do you anticipate things will be driven from the you know, the center is political folks like to say from the prime minister in his office. Any insight you can give there? Maybe, Gabrielle, I'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I would honestly consider Minister Freeland as part of the center as deputy prime minister. We know she's the most trusted member of cabinet and the most effective. And even, you know, during the, the press conference, when she was announced as new finance minister, she acknowledged that obviously there are, you know, difference of opinions between her and the prime minister at times. 
But those are worked out, you know, behind closed doors and in private. And that it's very important that you show a united front when speaking publicly as a government. And, you know, as, as liberals, we know that it, that kind of infighting can actually bring down a government. So I'm really glad to see that kind of attitude from her. You know, she's someone that, you know, sees eye to eye with Trudeau and the important things. We know that Trudeau recruited her because of the, the book she wrote about income inequality and the role that governments can play in minimizing that inequality. So in the big picture stuff, they see IUI and I suspect that she will be driving the budget and this recovery with a strong support from PMO. Interesting. Jan, what, you know, from your perspective, any, what, what are you seeing? I agree with the Gabriella. I think that the prime minister relies a lot on, on Minister Freeland. It's obvious that she is the operator and the fixer of this government. You know, every prime minister has one or two, like, fixers, as we, we say in, in politics, where, you know, when they have issues or problems, they always go to these people to take on a new challenge to fix issues or to promote, you know, the agenda of the government. And Minister Freeland seems to be that person for, for the prime minister. So to me, it's kind of obvious they will work together on the budget. And I would add that, you know, departure of the former minister of finance, in part because he wanted to slow the spending pace, advocates for a government that will just double down with even more spending on a short term. And Prime Minister Trudeau's strategic positioning has always been to take votes from the NDP, not to the Conservatives. So in continuing to spend like he does, he, he continues to try to appeal to the NDP voters. So therefore, I, I, I just don't see him and his team doing any different for the rest of his political career actually interesting brad any any insight behind the scenes there well i can i, I can certainly you know speculate what's going on behind the scenes it's 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 impossible to to know precisely but you know the weeks leading up to a throne speech in a minority context especially when let's say two of the three opposition parties that have a balance of power have already stepped away and so for mr singh and the ndp they are you know sharpening their pencils and figuring out what are the issues that we want to put forward to the prime minister to see in his throne speech in order for them to vote for him? If they can extract, you know, language or mentions, you know, commitments to take action on a couple of their key files, then they can, you know, feel confident to vote for the throne speech to say we made a difference in this throne speech, that we're using our balance of power to bring Justin Trudeau over, over here. Maybe it's something on the healthcare front. Maybe it's an economic issue. Maybe it's something to do with, you know, income inequality. Something that they think that the government, you know, can do, but wouldn't do without pressure. Then they're going to take that list of issues, hopefully go public with it to say, here is what we've said to the prime minister, maybe in a letter form, to say, we want action and language in the throne speech on the following issues. It'll be somewhat generic so that, you know, you get you get caught up in the game. What if two of the three things you've asked for are in there? What if it's one? I mean, I did this when I worked for Jack Layton on Parliament Hill in the minority parliaments between 2004 and 2011. This stuff came up, you know, annually, every time there was a throne speech. So it's a great opportunity for the fourth party to use its leverage. And it's also a good opportunity to get, you know, issues that normally may not be put to the fore by the Liberals to get that done. So I'm I'm happy that Alexandre Bollerice, the NDP MP from Montreal, is active in the Aerospace Caucus, and I hope he can do some good work behind the scenes in Parliament Hill come third week of September when we all come back. He's been a—he's definitely been a great advocate for the industry, 100%. 
you know, you speak about issues and maybe the final question here, the final topic, how do we as an industry ensure that aerospace is one of those issues, Brad, that you had, you had talked about and maybe, you know, just going a little bit, you know, getting political and going, moving a little bit back. We got a new federal conservative leader, you know, we touched on it a little bit before, but the Bloc Québécois said they want to force an election. The NDP have a real opportunity to influence the governing liberals. And so a little bit of analysis on that. And then maybe if you could, each of you close it off. You've all worked in politics. You're now working on behalf of various companies, clients. What is your best advice considering the political landscape right now you know, how should organizations, industry associations be approaching things in, in light of this? So maybe, Jan, I'll start with you. If you could, you know, maybe touch on that conservative leader, how that changes things, and then, you know, give us a little advice on how to make sure, as Brad said, aerospace is one of those issues that, that move forward. Yeah. So, well, new conservative leader, we will see with time, but, you know, Mr. Ozil got a clear mandate. He was elected with, you know, a fair a fair difference in, in between his support between the, the second place. So so there's no question about, about how strong his mandate is. His biggest challenge, Mike, will be to present a political offer to Canadian that will be, of course, acceptable for Western Canada, but that will be attractive east of Manitoba. Uh, which which has been the you know a challenge for the conservative, especially with the last election with Mr. Shear, where you know a lot of people in Quebec, Ontario, and Atlantic Canada just you know didn't want to even listen what conservatives had to say. So so that's his biggest challenge to me, and we'll see how he, he addressed that. In terms of advice, like we need to we need to keep in mind that in in a minority situation, like. People are always kind of a how can I say in a in a campaign mode situation. So so in their mind. So 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 the lens they use during an election campaign, like in 2019, to look at issues is now in their office with them. And they use this lens all the time to look at each issue and proposal and, and all the time. So it's with them. So so they think short-term political gains when they look at everything. So that doesn't mean there's no room for long-term policy ideas that are great for the next generation, but they shall fit under short-term political gain because that's how they, they behave. That's the only thing that's important in their mind right now. So how then you do this as an organization, how, how you, you, you ensure you're considered and you're part of the narrative. So I would say, you know, it's as basic as you need to exist in Ottawa. You don't only speak to government when you have a crisis. So you need to cast a wide net of relations. For instance, some, some of our, my clients will have the instinct of just going to the kind of obvious minister because they are part of, let's say, the Minister of Innovation. So they're going to just speak with the Minister of Innovation. But the reality is the federal government is so big that it works a lot with cabinet committees. So you need to speak with ministers that sit at relevant cabinet committees because they may have a say to a decision that will concern you. And if they are not briefed well and they don't know about your file, they may, you know, make a decision that will not be pleasant for you. It will a bit be because of you because you didn't do what you had to do. So you need to develop and nurture those relationships. And I would say as well, you need to work around the triumvirate. So what's a triumvirate? It's an old 
Roman word, meaning the alliance of three people to govern. That's an experienced deputy minister who, who said that to me in one of my first days in, in the job as chief of staff, and he was so right. Like the reality is decisions are, are, are taken like with three pillars. So there's the minister, there's a deputy minister slash the department, and then there's a chief of staff slash the political. And in order to maximize your chances of success, you need to have those three pillars fully aligned on, on an issue. So in other words, if a minister leans toward making a decision you would like, but that his chief of staff and his deputy ministers always tell the minister it's not a good idea for whatever reason, like the probability that he will make this, the decision are pretty low. So you, you need to work on all those pillars because they are all equally important. And I would say the last tip I would give to our audience is that you should help the government to see opportunities for himself. So don't play the politics, but if you write one plus one equals, let them write two. So provide them with facts, with data, show them the strict opportunity of doing something. So don't play the politics, but write one plus one equals and let them write two. I think that's wise advice, Yeah, especially, you know, if, if you're looking for something from government, it needs to be a partnership with government for them to take real ownership of it. And I really like, you know, I, I couldn't agree more with you. Those relationships, you know, before a crisis is what will sustain you through. And I think some of the work that we did is in particular with Vision 2025 and that advocacy outreach is really helping us now, you know, in the midst of this crisis. Maybe, Brad, I'll, I'll turn to you and then Gabriella to close it out. Brad, you know, how important is a strong association or an industry group, especially at a time like this when when we're going to government? Well, I mean, it, it, it's, it's crucial. But, you know, the good news here is that, you know, with the Vision 2025 document, a lot of it's been, you know, a lot of the groundwork has been laid. The foundation has been built on which this opportunity now can be, can be seized. And, I, you know, I'll agree, you know, the, the idea of an ongoing constant presence with a wide spectrum of decision makers is always part of an effective government relations strategy. The one element I would add is portraying the sense of urgency for some reason, it is frustratingly difficult to get Ottawa to understand the urgency with which the sector you know, faces many of its challenges. There seems to be a reluctance to act you know, effectively as, as well as, as quickly. And you know, so you know, to add that layer at this time, so we are, we are, we've just come off and you know, we're still in the midst, pardon, of an unprecedented pandemic. We still don't even know the full economic impact of that. We have, you know, massive unemployment and people, millions of Canadians relying on government supports to make ends meet on a month-to-month basis. I know those, those supports are in transition now, but the needs for them have not changed since the height of the pandemic. And here we are on the cusp of a throne speech, likely a mini-budget in the coming a handful of weeks, and to insert that sense of urgency that aerospace can be part of that solution, good paying jobs, investment from away, good exports, part of that green recovery, but that action has to be taken now. And to emphasize that urgency, I think will serve the association and and all of its employee members in good stead. Well, it's also the sense of urgency. And then also, you know, the the realization that 80% of what we produce is export related. So we have a role, our industry in particular has a role to play with respect to the recovery. And that's another point that we've been making very strongly. Maybe Gabriella, just ending it with you, any 
again, advice on how to make sure that aerospace is is part of the decision-making process and you know, in particular, the role of, of a strong association and sort of hitting it from all different angles. Yes, absolutely. So I have three comments and one, you know, kudos to the AIAC for the Parliamentary Aerospace Caucus. That is exactly, you know, the, the best initiative you can take under a minority government where you're one, building relationships and finding champions within government and also engaging the opposition. We know that opposition support is critical in order for the government to continue its mandate. And the fact that you've been able to build those relationships across the aisle is really important. Second, uh, so I would encourage you to continue developing those relationships and emphasizing the role of caucus. Second, you know, talk about the national reach. And, and you mentioned this earlier in the conversation that you're not just an Ecobacker Ontario industry, you're national, you're across the country. So emphasize that national reach and the job creation element of it. We know that as part of the recovery, the government wants to see new jobs created, you know, wants to see jobs go from part-time to, to full-time. And so that is a message of the, the store that the industry and and the association can tell really well. And lastly, you know, I, I need to talk about the she session. I need to talk about women in the industry. There's a government that cares a lot about the role of women, about gender analysis. And so, you know, it can the association tell a story about the, the women in the sector, how they, they have been impacted and how they're helping to drive the industry forward as part of this recovery. Oh, very, very good insights. Thank you. Well, I, I, I want to thank you all. Our members are probably used to seeing you either, you know, on TV or reading, you know, your comments in the paper. So this is just a real treat to have a bit of a discussion here for our members. So on behalf of our members, thank you for the great discussion. And also thank you for the support of our industry. Just for everyone out there, if you want more information on AIC, please visit AIC.ca. And if you want to get in touch with any of our panelists, please contact them directly or get in touch with AIC and we can make sure we make the connection. So again, thank you everyone for the time and we'll probably speak to you again at some point. Thanks so much, Mike. That's a wrap for this episode and thanks for listening. Please check out AIC.ca for more information or if you would like to join AIC to be part of the conversation.